Welcome to another podcast from Generations Church. We trust you will be encouraged today. I, uh, I, I'm really straining not to be political today, of course. And um, I, think that, I think that what we're going to talk about today, if you can just read between the lines just a little with me, will address what we need in our nation right now. Um, but I want to urge you, I want to call on you. And when Paul wrote to Timothy, his instruction was, I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands without anger, without division, because that's what we need in our nation right now. And I am absolutely heartbroken at what I am seeing. I have personal friends who have been in Ottawa, have seen what's going on. The mainstream media is lying. They are misrepresenting. They are behaving in a way I never thought I would see Canadians behave. My friends who pastor in Ontario are not telling a different story than that. And so, while you will never hear me use my platform to criticize the government, because I would never do that from this platform, I will criticize those who claim to be the speakers of truth in our nation. They are not. And you all, we all, need to work a little harder to find out what truth is. You need to look a little deeper. You need to let the Spirit of God guide you into all truth because that is one of the reasons Jesus gave him to us. The Holy Spirit comes to guide us into all truth and to bring to remembrance everything Christ said. So I want to talk to you about something miraculous today. Um, Let me just ask you one question really quick. First one who answers it gets a prize, which I will tell you what it is after you do this. So you have to jump up and tell me what single digit has the highest value. Go. You didn't stand. I said you had to stand up. What? 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 Alicia stood. What did you say? Nine. Yes, nine. Alicia, you get a prize. It is my undying love as your brother-in-law. <laughs> All right. Second question. Hey, you thought you, would, you were all just losing because you didn't win. Especially Jeff because he didn't stand up even though he had the right answer. You did not understand the assignment. All right, second question. Who can jump up and tell me, yelling it out, the single digit of the lowest value? Go. Zero. Zero. One. One. <laughs> Silly. Zero is what? Zero is nothing. It's not, a, it's, it's, it's not an accounting of something. It's the accounting of a lack of something, is it not? So our value in digits is one to nine. One to nine is what God has given us to account for anything and everything. One through nine, right? So if one chicken lays one egg, how many eggs do we have? One egg. But we have one chicken. Well, right, but it only one egg, so we have one egg. If a chicken lays three eggs, what would we have? We have three eggs. I know this is simple math, but believe it or not, in the world today, this is something that's being called into question. So I'm just going to take you through the exercise. Now, if I have three chickens and each chicken lays three eggs, how many eggs do I have? You guys are brilliant. Whoever said seven, you need to go back to grade three, I think it is, grade four maybe. That's, that's not good. Um, now, okay, so if three chickens lay three eggs and that brings us to nine, what do we need to get to ten? 
We need one egg. Just one egg. Now let me ask you, what should we get? Should we get one more chicken to lay one more egg? Or should we just get another chicken to lay one egg? Now you say, what the heck are you talking about, Pastor Travis? This is benign. This is insane. This is weird. Why are you talking about chickens and eggs? Is this some sort of conversational beginning to the great question of where we all came from? What came first, the chicken or the egg? By the way, the answer is the chicken, duh. Yeah. <laughs> the chicken. Because eggs come from chickens. That's scientifically observable. Duh. Okay? I, I, hope, I just hope we're not still stuck there as, as generally as people who I would assume are at least creationist in most of their not mindset. Um, but... But what, what, what are we talking about today? Who's curious? Anybody curious yet? Have I piqued your curiosity at all? No hands raised, no eyes closed, every head bowed, nothing. Okay, thank you. There's a few of you who are interested, so we're going to continue on. Uh, otherwise, I just have the worship team come back up, and we'll just, I don't know, wrap it up and go to lunch early. Um, here's what we're talking about. We are talking about the real power of God in your situation. What? chickens and eggs and one egg and three eggs and nine eggs and one more chicken or one more egg? Why, why would it matter? Well, it matters because we're talking about the power of God and why is it that He can do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we could ask or think. That's what it says in Ephesians 3.20. And that's a prayer, by the way. It says this. Uh, it says, Now to Him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we could ask or think according to the power that is working in us. Now to him. So, in other words, our Father, the power that is working in us. Now, listen, God gave us math. Why did God give us math? Anybody know? Anybody want the ideological, wonderful, philosophical response of why God gives us math? To count sheep. That's not a bad answer. Actually, it's not really a bad answer. Let me, let me, let me just tell you profoundly what it is. God gave us math as the language by which we could understand the universe. What, what, what is physics? It's math. Understanding gravity is based in what? Math. Understanding reproduction is based in what? Math. Understanding multiplication, understanding uh, distance. It's all math. Everything that we see in creation all around us is math. Math is the language that God gave us by which we could interpret and understand the universe. So. Even though I am not a math person, I still have to admire God's workmanship. Now, if creation is one through nine, God is zero. That is blasphemous right there. How can God be zero? We already established that zero is nothing. And that is true, but zero is also infinitely and eternally powerful. In fact, zero is the most powerful number that we have in math, is it not? Why? Because you can take one through nine, and they are one through nine. They always will be. You can only go one through nine until you begin to add zero to the equation. And when you add zero to the equation, you go from one to nine to infinite in one step. God is zero. Here's what's interesting to me. You can live your whole life treating God as zero. In that, 
You don't think it really exists. You don't think that he really matters. You don't think that he's really a part of anything that's going on because after all, I've got one through nine. I can count that far. But the truth is, is whether or not you believe in God, like whether or not you think zero has or doesn't have value, the reality is when you add God to one through nine, you now have something that is infinite, something that is eternal. Now, it's important that you understand this for the rest of the message, but the title of today's message is Zero. Just zero. Unassuming. Sometimes even unnecessary until it is. And, you know, it's interesting because when the Scripture teaches us that God is love, I want to quantify this, by, or qualify this maybe is a better word, but I want, I want you to understand you can see this work in terms of love because if God is love, well, what is love? Now, we're going to stick to a biblical definition of love, first of all. Love is not whatever a teenage girl at a wedding decides it is in her bridesmaid speech. Nothing, nothing against girls and their exposés on love or boys and their exposés on love. I'm not, I'm not trying to be critical. I'm just saying love actually does have a definition that is truth in absolute. Okay, and, and God gives that in Scripture. Um, and really, when it comes down to it, when we're really going to truly talk about and discover what love is, that is the definition we're all going to come back to. Because love is so important to us that it must be expressed in the sense of absolute for it to have real value. But if God is love, you can see love working in the same way. Where love is, it is evident. And it's evident by its existence, not by its observation or its assumption that it exists, but in a way you could look at it that way. It, it, lo love we know exists by the outworking of what it is in a situation, not by the acknowledgement of its existence. And the same is true because God is love, so God is zero and love is zero. If you can just hang with me and hear what I'm trying to say in that. See, love exists whether you believe in it or not. And its presence and its potential is always immediately available. It is simply waiting for the moment to be enacted. This is true of God. It is true of God in your personal walk, in your personal life. And it's also true of God for our nation. Whether or not a nation believes or does not believe in God does not change his power to prevail. It does not change the reality of his existence. Just the same way that zero doesn't have any effect on one through nine until it needs to. And this is a miracle to me that God can use math in our universe not only to explain the function and the existence of the universe, but also the existence of himself. Its potential, its presence are always immediately available. And this is why Scripture can teach us. That's why Scripture tells us that he will answer, that he is ever available when we call on him. You and I are somewhere in the mix of one through nine. Generations Church is somewhere in the mix of one through nine. General Motors, somewhere in the existence of one through nine. All of creation fits in this parameter of one through nine. Say the beginning of life is two or three. It doesn't really matter for the sake of our conversation. But it is what it is, and it's evident by its own existence. But somehow, 
when you add God to the equation, you start adding zeros to the end of your equation. And amazing things begin to happen. When we call, he will answer. And he will add his potential to whatever you are doing when it aligns with his will. When it aligns with his way. So he can add zeros to your one through nine. Deuteronomy 32, 28 to 30. Most of you have probably heard this verse or know this verse at some level, but this is what these verses, sorry. Here's what it says. For they are a nation lacking in counsel. This is not about us, but today it's about our nation. Every nation, by the way, in its history and in its present, is a nation lacking in counsel. There is no understanding in them. Would that they were wise that they understood this, that they would discern their future. How could one chase a thousand and two put ten thousand to flight unless their rock had sold them and the Lord had given them up? One can put a thousand to flight and two can put ten thousand to flight. What are we talking about here? Well, we're talking about adding zero to an equation. We're talking about adding God to an equation that exists in our reality. And this verse really does go on to say that because how, how can it happen unless God... It, I, it's interesting to me that, that the NASB right here uses this concept, unless God sells them out. doesn't sound very God-like, does it? But unless God sells them out, how can that happen? It can't happen unless God sells them out. Unless the Lord gives them up. It can't happen. One can overpower a thousand because of zero. Because one and a thousand, in terms of one to nine, are the same number. But when you start adding the zeros, we see something different. And two can put 10,000 to flight. Why? Two in and of itself is just an ordinary number. But when we begin to add zeros behind of it, and the Church of North America is about to learn en masse what the power of prayer really can do. A word of caution for you. We are not at war. We are not at war with people in our nation. But we are at war with powers and principalities and spiritual forces in heavenly places. Uh, spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. So you can protest, but don't you forget to pray. And can I just take it one step further? For the followers of Jesus... Prayer will always be the greatest protest you can offer. Man, in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament, I see people praying to God and it's a form of protest. Lord, David saying, Lord, how long will you let my enemies trample me, run over me, misuse me, abuse me, mistreat me? All day long they are. That's a protest to the Almighty. The funny thing to me is that God hears that prayer. God hears it. And not only does he hear it, but he actually responds to it. See, our nation does not need an ideological renewal. It needs a spiritual renewal. 
You want the politics of this nation to change? Get your neighbors saved. I'm so proud of the Church of Canada right now. Do you know, do you know, you, you will never hear this. Even the convoy stuff that you see, they're not really going to report on this. But people are meeting Jesus on the ground right now in that city. There are, there are Christians preaching on street corners, singing hymns, offering to pray with people, and people are coming to Christ. I can't. I don't know whether to laugh or cry when I see this because my heart is so broken seeing the things I'm seeing coming out of there. But my heart is also rejoicing because all of heaven is rejoicing. When those one and two and three and four and five, and I believe what will become thousands, begin to find faith in Jesus. We need to protest by means of prayer. Because this is not a war of ideology. I know it seems like a war of ideology. You want to know how to change the idea of a man? Change the man. Because we're stubborn. and We're resistant to change. But when hearts begin to soften, and hearts begin to reflect the image of their maker, we move into a whole different realm of understanding. And church, make no mistake, that is the realm of understanding we are called to walk in. It's okay to go and protest. It's okay to share your opinion. It's okay to be a presence on social media. It's, it's okay to do those things. But let me, let me warn you, if you are not praying as you go, I fear you are doing what you are doing in vain. 2 Chronicles 7, 12 to 16 says, Then the Lord appeared to Solomon at night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place. Someone say this place. For myself as a house of sacrifice, if I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, and my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. Now, this is God speaking, now my eyes will be open, my ears attentive to the prayer offered in this place. Someone say this place. For now I have chosen and consecrated this house. Someone say this house. That my name may be there forever, and my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. Now let's be clear on this. Do you understand the place? You better say yes, because there's still guts on the floor from last Sunday up here. I went home, I crashed so hard last Sunday. He understand the place. Listen, what place is God talking about? We, we came from, remember that we did a series on this. So we had the garden, and then we had the tabernacle, and then we came to the first temple. That was the place it's talking about right here, the first temple. What Solomon was building. And God is making a covenant. Now, just so you know, if you continue to read 2 Chronicles, Solomon did not keep his end of the deal. He, he didn't. So there was actually no covenant to be kept. And we can't really revise history and spend a lot of time speculating on what would have happened if Solomon had honored the Lord his whole life and continued to do all the things he should have done. But um, I, I, just, I, want, I want us to, to understand in the fullness of time, the Bible teaches us that we come from the temple being the place to what? To this being the place. 
to this being the place. This gathering of people, not this gymnasium, but this gathering of people being spiritual stones built into a spiritual house. That I am a house of prayer. Jesus was upset that they were perverting the temple, turning it to a den of thieves, and it was Herod's temple. How much more is the Spirit of God grieved when you turn your, yourself, your heart, your place into a den for thieves? I think it grieves him a lot. The Bible teaches that you and I are the place, the dwelling place of the Lord, His Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 16, 19 says that we are his house. Acts 7, 49, we are his dwelling place. He's referencing in the book of Acts 7, 49, referencing, uh, I think it's Isaiah. Heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool, but where is the house that you will build for me? Where is the place that I may rest? Has my hand not created all these things? God is saying, I've created everything that's around you. I have made you one through nine, and I am the zero that makes everything exponentially better. And even in all of that, I'm still looking to you to be my dwelling place, the place that I can rest. Because I am his dwelling place, I am one, I am two, I am four, I am seven. doesn't matter what I am. I'm his dwelling place, and when he comes to live in me, he adds zeros to my equation. See, it's not because you're a one or a three or a nine or whatever you think the number is that you wanted to be when you walked in here this morning. Rate me. No, seriously, babe, rate me. Yeah, yeah that's right. It's high up there. Whatever you thought you were when you walked in here this morning, I want you to know that you only fit between one and nine no matter how good you are. But the reality is there is a God in heaven who is in this place right now, this place, who wants to exponentially add to what he has called you to do. And I don't have a good reason or a good understanding on why God chose us or why God allows us to be used, but I can say this, and this much I understand. You can argue about why God has done things the way he's done, but I will make this assumption in faith. That a world in which I live and I have to choose God where I have to put faith in him without an origin story about who he is or where he came from. That I have to put my trust in him, even though he doesn't tell me the whole beginning, he only starts with my beginning. I can live with and I can put my faith, my hope, and my trust in a God who says, it's good enough, let's just start from where you started and do amazing things. Everybody wants to get hung up on, well, what's God's origin? Why are you worried about God's origin? You can be a secular evolutionist and you're still going to have to answer the same question. Well, what's the origin? Nobody has the answer for any of it. But yet it's like God left us all these breadcrumbs to follow. He left us the math to follow. He gives us things to do. He prepares good works beforehand so that we would walk in them. It's important to remember some of those verses in context, you know. Well, God prepared good works for me, so what? What's the point if you're not going to walk in them? 
God works all things together for good. Don't worry, Pastor. No, no, he works all things together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Oh, you mean God doesn't want to work things for my purpose alone? No, God doesn't work things for your purpose alone. Where did I lose you? Jeez. I'm a one or a two or a three or a four, whatever I am, however many zeros an infinite God wants to add to my life is good with me. Because the value is actually in who he is. It's not just because you're a one or a three or a nine that you're succeeding. It's because God is adding zeros to you. Kyson, God is adding zeros to your business. You brilliant thinkers, God is adding zeros to your ability to comprehend and to think. Prophets, God is adding zeros to your gift of prophecy. Do you, do you get it? Do you see where? Do you see how this works? Do you see how an infinite God exponentially builds upon what He started in you to take it to a place of completion that is infinite in its completion? How big is heaven? Is the capacity of heaven eight billion people? If you say yes to that, you and I do not believe in the same God. How could you? How far beyond 8 billion can you count? Good grief. I think we're in the trillions right now as Canadians. Do you know how many years ago a trillion seconds is? Almost 32,000 years. And you know what? God's not limited by a trillion. He can just add another zero. And he can add another zero. See, in... The math to me is kind of funny all of a sudden because numbers are infinite. <laughs> you just can add a zero. And you can add a zero. And 10,000 zeros from now, you can still add a zero. And 10,000 zeros after that, you could still add another zero. Guys, that's why God is zero in the equation. He's either nothing or he is the power for everything in your life. You get to decide that today. You can walk away from this church service today and forget about praying for our nation all week long. You can forget to pray for your pastor. You can forget to pray for your marriage. You, for, you can forget to put the effort in. You can do all of those things and nothing in your life will change. Why? It's because you're going to treat God who is zero as if he is of no value. But when you begin to realize the absolute mind-blowing potential of who God is, if he is the zero in your equation, what is impossible? You tell me he can't do it. Zeros can be nothing or they can be everything. So adjust your faith perspective appropriately. So many times people come to church and it's like they're looking for one person to pray with them. Because oh, if, if that one man prays for me, then I know God will answer. Oh, if the pastor prays for me, then I know God will answer my prayer. I'll, I'll get what I need. It does seem from time to time that God moves powerly on the individual and through an individual. 
But can you just understand that when we're praying, it's not that the prayer of one is or isn't valuable. What the reality is, is that the prayers of the saints on mass are exponentially powerful to the power of adding one more zero. That's why when we come back to if one can put 1,000 to flight, two can put 10,000 to flight, what can 200 do? Just keep adding zeros. Keep adding zeros. Do you understand that when, when God's people walked around Jericho seven times over seven days, and on the seventh day they walked around seven times and blew the horns and shouted and praised God, do, do you understand that it wasn't the yelling and the praising of God that caused the walls to fall down. What brought Jericho down? God brought Jericho down. Zero. There's no scientific explanation for why shofar horns can create the perfect cosine wavelength that will crack rocks. Doesn't happen. But prayer moves the hand of God. Why? Because God has a covenant that in this place, he will hear our prayers. What place? Well, you. The place you are. The place where your feet are right now. The place that God has brought you to. The workplace God has brought you to. The learning place God has brought you to. The resting place that God has brought you to. The worship place that God has brought you to. The place you are is the place in which God wants to hear your prayer. So why aren't we praying more? It's because sometimes we think, well, I got I to be there. No. God's already there with you. And this takes nothing away from gathering with people to pray. I'm just saying. You need, you need to begin to, to understand the potential value of your one or two or three when God adds his zeros to it. I want to go back to the chickens. What's better? To have nine chickens and have one chicken lay one more egg to get to ten? Or would it be better just to have another chicken? Well, this is a really simple one. You guys could have answered this. It's better to have more chickens. Why? Well, because every chicken has the potential for more than one egg. Potential. And what if a church is like a whole bunch of chickens? It's going to stink in here soon. <laughs> I have chickens. They stink. Sheep stink too, just so you know. It's better to have the extra chicken. And what's better than having three chickens or four chickens? Well, ten chickens is better. Why? Because the value is in what they produce. And it's, it, it, this, is, this is true for your business. This is true for your family. This is, this is true for the church. People need to become productive. 
And I could talk to you about volunteering and stepping up and the great days that we're in as a church, about to launch a building project and about to move forward into the things that God is doing. It is incredibly exciting and it's also incredibly insane because we're looking into the face of a situation politically in our nation where it will not favor the church. And somehow, I'm more excited about that than anything. Why? Because I believe in the power of God's zeros right now. <laughs> I, I, believe, I believe that if God is a zero in my equation, don't you tell me he can't do it. So, when you, when you add your voice in prayer to the church, you're adding a chicken, not an egg. You get it? You're, you're adding. See, when you report to the altar for duty, when you, when you fall to your knees as a prayer warrior to make war in heavenly places against spiritual powers of wickedness, you're not adding an egg, you're adding a chicken. The Bible actually says in the book of Revelation that the prayers of the saints are going up to the throne of God like a sweet-smelling incense. All day long, day after day, the prayers of the saints are rising to the throne of God. Are your, are your prayers among them? That's the sticky question. Are your prayers among them? God wants to multiply what we pray. God wants to multiply the works, the good works that we do by tenths and hundredths and thousandths and ten thousandths. Do you even recognize those numbers? Ten thousandths. That's what God wants to add to you. That's what God wants to add to me. That's what God wants to add to what we're doing as a church. You know, the most important part of a Sunday morning does not start at 1030. It starts at 1015. 10, sorry. It also helps if the senior pastor's on time. <laughs> I'm not perfect. I don't even know what's going on anymore half the time. I have a whole team of people to tell me where to be and why I should stop talking, <laughs> basically. The worship team should come back. There's something powerful and amazing that happens here every morning at 10. That's faithful people in this church gather to pray for church for what's happening today, for, what, for what's going on, for your need. Before you even walked in here today, doesn't it make you feel a little bit better to know that there were people here praying for your need before you ever came to church today? I think that's amazing that someone would do that for you. I really do. So you can add an egg or you can be a chicken and add to the hole by showing up at 10 to pray. They're going to be praying at different places in many different cities over the coming weeks. I think it'd be crazy for you not to add to those prayers. Wherever you can, 
wherever you can go. Paul's instruction to Timothy, I want men everywhere. And by the way, men is a generic term in the Bible. It wasn't just the men that he was talking to. It was the people he was talking to. I want people everywhere to lift up holy hands and pray. See, I think the failing of our faith in Jesus has been that we have a tendency to estimate and to quantify what can be done by our efforts. And we weigh the cost and we consider what the impact will be. And we're not wrong to consider the cost and the impact. There's actually wisdom in that. But it's a huge problem when you look at the situation in front of you and the only force multiplier you're considering is your own ability. Well, I I would go and talk to that person, but what if I get it wrong? What if I'm not right about what I think I should say? What if, see, you're quantifying that, you're qualifying whether or not it's okay before it's even happened based on your ability and your ability alone. Can you just imagine with me for one moment before we close the service today, if Peter had done the same thing when he was getting out of the boat to walk to Jesus? And I, and I have to believe that he did. He, he quantified and he qualified a few things. First of all, Jesus is walking towards me on the water, and moments ago I thought it was a ghost, but now I think it might be Jesus, so I'm going to call out to Jesus. He, he tested it a little. Lord, if that's you, tell me to come out on the water to you. I'll come. Jesus says to Peter, what? Come on out. If Peter had only been willing to take that step of faith based in his ability, rationally, he would never have taken the step. And see, you and I are getting stuck there all the time. You're not thinking that I should respond. I shouldn't respond because maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just in my head. Maybe it's just emotionalism rising up in me. So therefore, I think the right thing to do is nothing. Can I just tell you, that is absolutely insane. That the right thing to do is nothing. And you wonder why nothing changes. It is literally the definition of craziness to do the same nothing over and over again and expect somehow that God is going to magically, majestically change something. Take the step. Pray with your wife. Pray with your kids. Offer to pray for your boss. Be brave enough to share the word that is rolling over in your heart that may or may not be right, but uh, you got to learn sometime. Come on. If the whole word for our church in 2021 was move, please catch up and start moving. By all means, catch up. If you're sick, if you're hurt, if you're tired, we'll carry you. We will. But it's time for you to move. It's time for you to stretch your faith. It's time for you to borrow some faith. It's time for you to step out in faith. It's time for you to figure out the strength of your faith because you're making assumptions about what God wants to do in your life and you're only multiplying it by your one and your two when God wants to multiply it by many upon many zeros. 
that's my life multiplied by 10,000. I have no idea, but I know it's better than one. Don't continue to quantify what God can do by your efforts alone. It is wrong to do that. If the little boy who came to Jesus when the multitudes gathered with his two fish and his five loaves, how would that look? Jesus didn't cut that up into infinitely smaller pieces. He took the two and the five and did what? He added zeros. He added zeros. Blind man on the side of the road, son of David, do not pass me by. Jesus walks over, looks at him, spits in the dirt to make mud, rubs mud in his eyes. His eyes are open. What does Jesus do? He, 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 he added zeros to that man's faith. And this is what you got to learn. This is what you have to understand. Nobody steps out and does anything in faith without understanding that I am only a one or a two. God's going to have to add zeros to this equation for it to work. When we planted the church, we literally stepped out as two people. Two relatively insignificant people. God began to add a zero and another zero and another zero. God wants to take the decision you're facing today and become the force multiplier. He wants to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that you could ask or think. Ah, just... Please don't stay stuck in. Don't be stuck. Stretch it out. Stretch your faith. Believe God for just a little more. Believe God for a little more. When the widow and her son brought the last of their oil and their flour to the man of God, they said, we're going to make this, we're going to eat it, and we're going to die. The prophet blessed it. And the woman found a little more oil and a little more flour in the jar. And the next day she found a little more oil and a little more flour in the jar. Why? Because God was adding zeros to her equation. If God can use a stick, if God can use mud, if God can use whatever he wants, if God can use a donkey to correct prophets, God adding zeros to your equation can do so much more than you're giving him credit for. What can God do in our nation? What can God do in this nation? Guys, revival is intended to start in this nation and go out to the world. I believe it with all my heart. But we got to pray. And we got to make war when we worship. We have to contend. We have to contend for the goodness of God to flood this land. Father, for this day that we're in right now, I pray the Holy Spirit, you would move on our hearts right now. 
Holy Spirit, this morning, I'm going to let you be the gentleman. But I'm going to have the audacity and the brashness to ask on behalf of every person in this room, Holy Spirit, that you would move forcefully on our hearts right now. That you would begin to, to bring us into a sharper alignment with you, what your will is for our place, for what you are calling us to be in the moments and the places that we're in. Holy Spirit, that you begin to remind us of the powerful gift of faith, the measure of faith that has been placed in us, that power that is working in us because of Jesus. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would move on us, on each one of us, that you would challenge us, that the Lord, that conviction would fall on us today. The peace would fall on us. Jesus, that you would come as a mighty force, a mighty wind with mighty effect, Lord, and crush anxiety and crush hopelessness in this place today. Come, Lord Jesus. Father, I'm asking in the name of Jesus today, Pour your spirit out on all flesh once again. Pour it out on our sons and our daughters. Our old men and women, Lord, pour it out on us. Pour it out on us. If you're sitting here this morning, right now that you do not have a relationship with the one who created you. That can be changed in an instant today. You can meet Jesus here in this place and you can leave this place changed. You can leave this place forgiven of sin. And that dead spiritual person that is inside of you can come to life because of what Jesus has already done for you, you just need to put your faith in it. You just need to, you need to try Jesus. You need to turn from what he calls sin to follow him. We have people who would love to walk you through that, to pray with you, to talk with you about what that is, what it means, and what it looks like. To answer your questions that you might have. If you're sick, That means if there's something physically wrong with you, I want to challenge you again today. Come for prayer. Let somebody lay hands on you and pray for you so that you can receive a miracle from God. Because he's here in this place. He he wants to. He wants to lavish his love on you. He wants to do the best thing for you. So we're going to sing one last song. Church isn't over until we sing that song. As long as church is running, there's time for you to come to this altar and receive what God has for you. So Father, I pray that any person sitting here that is struggling with their response to God, that you would give them right now 
a holy confidence to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, whether they understand it or not. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us in another podcast from Generations Church. If you enjoyed listening today, please subscribe to our podcast channel to get a new one each week. For additional information or to partner with us, please check out our website at www.genchurch.ca.